This is the Thursday I Am Bio mini-sode, where we'll bring you a full interview from Monday's podcast, complete and unfiltered. Today, we share the conversation we had with Jennifer Holmgren, CEO of Lonzatech, the company repurposing carbon greenhouse gases for ethanol. Hello, I'm here with Jennifer Holmgren, the CEO of Lanza Tech. Her company is known for their carbon capture and recycling technology, which is being used to create sustainable fuels and, get this, perfume. They recently announced a partnership with Cody, an international fashion brand that makes perfumes for brands such as Gucci and Burberry. Thanks so much for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Much appreciated. So let's start out by just getting a little bit about your background, Lanza Tech and how sustainability became such an important priority for you and for the company. Well, you know, at Lanza Tech, and, and you highlighted perfume, but at Lanza Tech, we believe that everything we use in our daily lives will someday come from recycled carbon emissions, whether that be carbon emissions at an industrial facility or solid waste like municipal solid waste or biomass after gasification. So we really believe the future is about reusing waste resources, giving carbon a second chance at life, which then keeps fossil carbon in the ground. So you asked about sustainability and our sustainability journey. It really is about climate equity, bending the carbon curve, and making sure that people can still access the things they access today, but at a much lower carbon footprint. Hmm. I love that image of giving carbon a second chance at life, because it's really about creating this virtuous cycle almost. Absolutely. It, It is really about the circular economy and just reusing our resources, whether they be at the basic carbon level or reusing a bottle or apparel. I think really the future is circular. And really one of the things that I think will enable circular is biology. I think the ability of synthetic biology, the power of synthetic biology is what will enable us to actually reuse waste. And the reason I believe that is because biology is so selective that it lends itself to distributed models. And as you can imagine, if you're using waste, it can't all be at one big centralized location. Hmm. I love that. It's almost tweetable. The future is circular. <laughs> and, and definitely, if you think about human systems, they definitely recycle in a way that's very efficient. Could you share a little bit about your story? How did you come to this field and what gets you so excited about it? Yeah, so I'm a chemist by training, and um, I actually spent the first 25 years of my career on uh, thermocatalysis, working for a company called UOP, which is part of Honeywell. And what it does is it supplies technology to the refining and petrochemical sector. So you wouldn't know UOP, but they're almost the Intel inside. They're in every refinery in the world, and their processes are actually how we make gasoline, diesel, 
apparel, etc., cetera, uh, in the petroleum industry. And when I was there, my last role was I, I founded the renewable energy business there. And I started um, making the sustainable aviation fuel that people are flying on today. In fact, we on Earth Day 2010, we flew the Green Hornet with the U.S. Navy using sustainable aviation fuel. But what I realized at the time is that conventional biofeed stocks, while they had an important role to play in creating this low carbon transition, were limited in how much they could scale relative to petroleum refining. Today, we use almost 100 million barrels a day of petroleum. And it's tough to imagine scaling that with things that use land and water. And so that's why I then moved to Lensatech because I saw the opportunity to get to the same scale as petroleum, but using waste resources. So what was the key that unlocked that problem of scale? It is this gas fermentation field. So gas fermentation or the ability of microorganisms to eat gases like carbon monoxide, hydrogen, and carbon dioxide has been known for quite some time, but nobody had been able to successfully scale it. In other words, to successfully wrap a process around it, to allow it to make economic sense. And so I was invited to the company to help scale the technology. And when we started, of course, there were questions about whether we could, but but we now have a plant operating in China that uses steel mill gases. Before they go out into the atmosphere, we trap them, compress them into our bioreactor and convert them to ethanol. So I think two things have unlocked it. And, and one is us being able to show that you can do this economically. And the other is really appreciating all the other developments in the field by others that include gasification of municipal solid waste, uh, et cetera. So we're able to couple with gasification or biogas reforming or just put ourselves on the back of a steel mill or a ferro-alloy plant. Hmm. So let me see if I'm following this. So as long as someone can turn waste into gas, then you can use the engines of bacteria and microbes to turn that gas into something that's more manageable? You're absolutely right. That's it. That's that's the the clearer explanation, Michelle. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. So that's exactly what we do. We use the bacteria to take those dirty gas streams and convert them to ethanol. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about this recently announced partnership with Cody and the technology behind those new products. Right. So so what Cody wanted to do is they they want to focus on bending their carbon footprint and reducing their carbon footprint. And so they have many areas that they would like to uh, reduce. And one of them is being able to use ethanol from a low carbon or a recycled carbon resource to make their perfumes. Today, as you know, perfumes do use ethanol. And so what they did is they worked with us. They spent a lot of time 
trying to take our ethanol, which is actually produced for a gasoline blending component, and you you know we have to really clean it so it can go near somebody's body or be in somebody's home, right? And so what they did is we worked with them to make sure that we could meet their very, very exact specifications with our ethanol. Hmm. And so once we were able to show that and that it could be done on a large commercial scale, that is when we then were able to announce our partnership because we knew it was possible to substitute for their ethanol in their perfumes using our ethanol. So for a company known for fuel production, why branch out into fashion and beauty? Yeah, so we believe that everything in our daily lives needs to come from a low-carbon option. And so our view is, you saw our partnership with L'Oreal, where we're working with Total to make polyethylene for their cosmetics. We have worked with Mebel and Migros in Switzerland, so household cleaners can come from recycled carbon. We're looking someday to, very soon actually, to make apparel from recycled carbon because we've now made PET. So my view, you know, imagine a world where a steel mill not only produces the steel for a plane, but also uses its waste carbon emissions so that we can make aviation fuel that goes into that plane. Mm. We use those waste carbon emissions to make PET so that the seat belts on that plane come from recycled carbon. That's the future we're trying to create. And ethanol for fuel is just the first step because that is the easiest, right? That That's the easiest to, to make. And so for us, though, it's a journey, a journey of making everything hmm. from recycled products. So that journey to making everything involves attracting all those sectors to see the possibilities. Are you seeing more and more industries coming to Lanza Tech looking for these types of solutions? Absolutely. Um, the amount of interest in anything related to carbon reuse right now is huge. I think you're seeing that with kind of a resurgence of biofeedstocks, biofuels, um, but also just recycled waste carbon. People are trying, people talk about air protein, right? Using recycled carbon to make food. Uh, so I think, I think people are realizing that they need to change. And really, in some ways, what we're really offering is the example that it's possible. And as more and more brands actually start using our products, then more will follow, right? Because that's the beauty of working with a brand. You know, people pay attention to what they're doing. So other people are hearing about a company they'd never heard of, Lanzatech. So what can we do to encourage more companies to buy in? Are there policies that help encourage this kind of sustainable manufacturing? Is it, is it more profitable for the companies or do we need to kind of bridge that profitability gap until that we get to a point where it's a completely virtuous cycle? Yeah, absolutely. What, what you will find, Michelle, is 
it's very hard to compete with an incumbent, right? When you're doing a new technology, you have to scale it and then replicate it. And as you replicate it, it comes down the cost curve. This is exactly what happened with solar, right? In 1975, what costs 20 cents today used to cost $100. The same thing with our phone, right? Imagine what we've done with computers and supercomputing. I mean, we literally have a tiny little device we put in our pockets and it used to take up a room and cost I don't know how much. So I think it's really important for new technologies to have a seat at the table. And initially that means paying more. And so governments can help. Incentives that help that drive to carbon reduction by adding a differential price at the beginning. Also um, brands that are willing to pay a little more or or maybe a fashion high-end brand where a little extra cost on one of the components is not that important in the grand scheme of the total cost of the product. These are the ways to get down the cost curve. Once you start scaling, those incentives aren't necessary. You start to get to tipping points like you've seen with, you know, like I said, solar. I would say that we need to be realistic and understand that this carbon transition is not going to be the cheapest option. However, it will eventually be cost competitive. Mm -hmm. Well, and even as you, you know, as the economic scale catches up with the um, biotech scale that you've already delivered, we're still getting the savings of the environment, right? So there's also that long-term cost hanging over our head of dealing with climate change any other way. You're right. Unfortunately, with few exceptions, those externalities are seldom considered today. And and I I hope that we can start to drive to that and that we start to believe that a cleaner world and it is a better world and be willing to pay a little more for it. Mm-hmm. So do you think that your clients are able to pass on some of these costs to consumers or consumers at a point where they're willing to pay a bit more for the sustainable solution? Or is that something we still need to do a little bit more work around? You know, I think because the technologies are just getting up to scale, you only need a few consumers willing to pay a little more at the beginning because you don't have enough product to really fill the big markets. We are finding that some consumers are willing to pay a little more. We're also finding that brands, because they have these substitution targets, are willing to actually make a little less money rather than pass on the cost to the consumer because they've made sustainability commitments. And so they're also willing to to take some of those costs on. You know, I think I think we're on a journey, right? That has to start to consider externalities. And I'm seeing more and more customers and all sorts of brands now being really committed to changing their carbon footprint, their water footprint. You know, the sustainability is becoming the ethos of so many companies. You know, we've talked about a couple of legs of the stools, consumers, policymakers, the companies themselves. What role, if any, are investors playing in this journey? 
you know, actually recently, I mean, look at all the ESG funds that have been formed. I really see investors taking a much stronger role in dealing with new technologies and new solutions that reduce carbon. You see Bill Gates talk about how do you pay for a green premium and how do you help pay for that initially. Um, So really, there's a ton of energy on the investor side and a real commitment. It's almost like a renaissance era of investors into what I would call clean tech or new approaches uh, to reduce carbon and and to really live within the limits of our planet, right? That's really what it's about, right? Is people realizing that we have to do better, that everything has to be circular, that we have to live with nature uh, and and be part of nature. These are all things. And, and actually, it's really interesting because you started by saying, you know, look at look at people and, and how we are so efficient as human beings and recycle, reuse in, in our nature, in our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And this is also true of nature, right? Imagine trees. There's nothing wasted. Bill McDowell, I remember, wrote a book, Cradle to Cradle, a long time ago. And I remember he used a cherry tree as an example. And, you know, even the buds that fall off the tree become nutrient for the next tree, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this virtuous circle, as you said, is, is us learning to live with nature. So for those investors out there who want to make sure that they are having their dollars follow their interests, what are some of the emerging markets for Lanzatech's technology? What are new sectors that are moving in your direction? Yeah, I I would say that there's a lot of investment headed in alternative protein, right? That how do we grow protein without impacting land resources? There's a lot of movement towards greener agriculture. You know, how do we fertilize using uh, biology to improve plant health? So there's a lot of investments even outside the types of things we do, which are uh, using biology to make commodity chemicals, to make fuels. Really, there's a real resurgence in that. Of course, you know, there's the obvious EV, solar, etc. But I think really at the end of the day, what investors are starting to realize is, you know, there's got to be more than power. Power is not the only thing we're going to decarbonize, so it's got to be aviation. It's got to be heavy uh, trucking, diesel for marine. It's got to be clothes and apparel and food. And I see a lot of interest in that. So I remember you saying that you were in chemistry and, and that kind of led you to some of these areas. But can you take us through the personal journey of how you got so interested in sustainability? Was it is it something that was important in your family growing up or something you came to realize later? Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting. I, I actually, so, uh, I've always worked in energy and I, it used to really drive me nuts that more than a billion people in the world don't have access to energy and power. And um, because I feel power is such an essential part of everything we do, right? You know, you can't read a book at night. You can't have a refrigerator. You spend your day collecting food. It There is a, a social aspect to not having energy that 
that was something very disturbing to me. And so I always worked on trying to figure out how to democratize energy, how to make it possible for everybody to have it. And then around 2012, I actually saw a very interesting article. So I was born in Colombia, and I saw an article showing that because of climate change, Colombia would not be able to sustain its coffee-growing economy by 2050, just because of the changes brought on by the climate. And I was actually shocked because even though I've always thought about clean energy, I always started a thing of over there. It has nothing personal, nothing about me. I didn't appreciate that it was a change to our entire ecosystem, to our way of life, right? And it only dawned on me in 2012. And so I transitioned from thinking about energy democracy to clean energy democracy. I realized that bringing power to everybody, but not having them be able to grow food, it wasn't going to get it done. And so that's how I got into more sustainability versus just access. That's when I realized that green, low carbon intensity were things that mattered. And I also realized that when people say you can have one or the other, that that's a false choice, that we can provide clean energy not just say, okay, well, they need energy. Let's let's make sure everybody has energy. No, we can give people clean energy, and and I think this is this is how I got to where I am, and 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 how I got to how I think about things. And and honestly, we have to stop with the false choices. There is only one path to the future that we can take, and that is one that bends our carbon curve. We cannot afford to have. $20 billion tragedies, if you want to call it that, where people lose their lives, their way of, of growing food, their livelihoods, all the things they cherish, because we cannot think our way out of this climate crisis. We need to do better. Hmm. I love that. You know, so many people think of democracy as sharing power with more people, but this is democratizing power to share it around the globe and just give everyone more opportunity. I cannot thank you enough for taking some time to really open our eyes to these issues. And I can't wait to hear about the next chapter for Lanza Tech. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to I Am Bio. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and give us a rating or review.